Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Pretty Polly podcast. These are going to be short, sort of half-hour episodes with an expert on the history of kits. So talking about issues such as the designers, the manufacturers, sponsors, even the collectors and the retail industry itself. So delighted to be joined today by Peris Hatton, who's a very well-known collector with over 20 years' experience of collecting and trading shirts. So welcome, Peris. Good morning, Alex. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Really pleased to speak to you. For anybody who hasn't followed Peris, you really should get on his account. It's a, a treasure trove. It seems like barely a week or two goes by where you don't unearth some 40-year-old uh, unworn kits, pull them out of your pocket. How did you start collecting then? You, you did a piece in the first Kit Mag where you talked about getting some kits as a kid in the 70s, but then you started to collect a bit more seriously about 20 years or so ago. Yeah, I've kind of dipped in and out, I suppose. As, as a child, I was lucky that um, we weren't a wealthy family at all, but it, it's, it's amazing how much nagging of your poor mum has an impact, really, because over a period of four or five years, probably had about five or six different shirts and even that I think was quite a lot for that kind of age to have but I wouldn't class myself as a collector then clearly but and then as you get into your teenage years you know other interests kind of come along so I sort of not lost interest so much in in football because I still followed football but maybe didn't wear the shirt and then in my 20s started going to the football it wasn't quite there as as it certainly is now to wear a shirt but then when I went into mid-twenties, I started buying again. So I remember, I think the first sort of shirt I bought was the the 92 Liverpool Centenary home and away shirt. And then for about 10 years, I'd buy a shirt every year until I stopped again about 2002, I think. And that was mainly through not being such a big fan of the, of the Reebok Liverpool kits, really. And then I didn't buy another shirt, sort of new in a sports shop, till probably five or six years ago when I then bought a whale shirt. But in between all of that, I'd sort of delved into the world of vintage football shirts and, and the, the, the buying and selling and, and the, the heavy collecting, really. And how did that first start off? So when did you start picking up the vintage shirts then? I started sort of going to car boot sales, sort of early 90s. And you'd see some football shirts there, clearly, but it wasn't why I was sort of going at the time. But if I found an old one from my own childhood then, which they were around, especially Liverpool ones, I'd, I'd buy them. And I remember buying sort of two or three or four um, over, over a few years. But I think what changed it really was in 2000, I sort of made a decision. Right, I, used to, I used to sort of buy and sell sort of toys and I'm um, near the memorabilia. And I used to go to sort of toy fairs and, and sell this stuff. But then eBay came along. And I realised that, well, actually, you've got the worldwide market there, and in fact, it's probably easier to sell the stuff there rather than getting up at after clock um, going to some of these um, trade fairs. And one day while I was on there, I, I, I spotted some old football shirts while I was sort of trawling through eBay. And 2000 was quite very early on in the days of eBay, I think. And I saw some old Liverpool shirts, some of the Crown Paints ones from the 80s, and I kind of thought, wow, they look good. Um, and then I saw some of the sort of the sort of prices that they were going for, and, and then like the business head sort of kicks in, and I think, well, 
you're seeing this stuff out and about and without sounding sort of mercenary you, you kind of think well from a business perspective there's an opportunity there and then at about the same time on one trip to london i came across someone in camden market actually selling some original admiral football kits from the 70s and it kind of all went was spiraling out of control from from that day really so when you say that, did you start supplying them or did you have the idea to then set up something more serious your own, of your own? Yeah, so I, I bought one or two in car boot sales and, and sort of sold them on eBay in, in like around 2000, early 2000. But on this trip to London, and, and I always used to go to Camden, maybe looking for, for something a bit retro, not, not in football shows, but just in general clothing. And there was this one shop there that I used to sort of go into quite regularly. And he used to sell trainers. And he had some sportswear in particular. Um, I remember he had um, an Admiral Man United away kit, the white one with, with the black stripes going down, yeah. and an Arsenal Umbro tracksuit, and an Everton shirt. And, um, I think they were about £20 each per item. I kind of said to him, as you always did, you know, have you got any more? And he sort of sniggered at me and said, well, I can get a lot more. He, he kind of started there, really, that sort of a few weeks later, he invited me to go back down to his uh, shop in Camden. Um, he had about 100 items that were brand new condition, still bagged, that had come from a, an old sports shop. And we were talking about sort of such an array of different kits and, and brands as well. So, yeah, he had the Admiral all bagged, all pristine. Then he had all the Umbro, you name it, it was there. And then some Adidas as well, so some early Wimbledon kits were there and some Patrick stuff as well. So there's about 100 items and probably about 80 different shirts within that. And, it, and you just, even then, you just sort of stood there and jaw dropped and it's mm-hmm. just like, just incredible to sort of see all of that kind of displayed in front of you. And I was lucky to be able to buy that stuff at the time and I had to sell a bit in order to sort of get my money back. Then I bought sort of probably three or four further dollops of, of stuff from this guy and that thereafter it was sort of multiples of the same kind of stuff but it was just ah, just just incredible really and, and it all kind of dated from about 77 to about 84 so it was a a right place right time moment really um, and it just kind of exploded from there as you can imagine and at the time on ebay there weren't that many people selling shirts but there was already a lot of people, not to today's scales, but still a lot of people, serious collectors out there, who were um, very keen to buy the original stuff. The the thing that always really stands out for me, as I said at the start, is just where you pull these incredible finds from. Suddenly there's a stack of 10 or 20 brand new in bag 70 shirt. So you mentioned that you had this first experience with the chap in the kind of market have there been any other halls since where you've just thought kind of hit gold i've kind of been lucky over the years to have been in the right place at the right time a few times really you make your own luck and and you make your own luck in so much that you you have to put in the miles as as i kind of put it you do still need a a sprinkling of luck along with that really um about seven or eight years ago I was doing um, the tax return for, for the shirts business and whilst doing it one day something pinged up on my phone and it was somebody who wanted some advice really about some old kits 
And when I had a look and got in touch, uh, it was another old sports shop where the stuff had been in storage for probably, even at that stage, probably about 25 years. And it wasn't just football, it was cricket, golf, you name it, uh, in, a, in a giant storage unit. And there was just a phenomenal amount of stuff. Um, but the football, and I said, look, you know, I, I, I just cannot take everything, unfortunately, but the football kits, I, I will. There was probably another five or 600 replica or original 70s and 80s. Um, and so I was lucky, I'd be lucky that I've had two of those in total. But then there's been others as well on, on sort of small accounts. You know, I think that the best one most recently was not financially, but just from how it kind of all looked when it was put together. There was um, an old department store up in Edinburgh, uh, and amongst it all was a load of old Buckter football kits. So these were sort of dating from the mid 60s to the mid 70s era. And the department stores then sort of preempted sports shops in a lot of ways that if Paris wanted a football wanted a PE kit, you, you go to the department store and you buy your plain shirt, but invariably they'd, you know, book to being one of the early ones along with Umbro, they'd quite cleverly match the, the colour styles to a plain Liverpool shirt or an Everton shirt or... So there was about, again, probably, probably about 800 book to shirts came, with lots wow. of duplication amongst that. But all the way through to the mid-70s, so where you had, j just before... The, the, the big replica boom um, with Admiral and Umbro putting a badge and everything, like the, the Wolves mid-70s traditional kit with a, a, a proper black insert collar uh, and the black cuffs and the gold shirt and Hibernian kits even, um, sort of, you know, with, with the, gray, the, the green main body, the white collar and white sleeves and, and, and white cuffs. And he just looked at it all, and, and it was just all just in plain plastic bags, much of it. Some of it was in the, the, the book to packaging. And when he sort of laid it all out, all over the house as it was, my poor wife, um, mm -hmm. laid it all out, it just looked absolutely stunning. And that just sat in, in a storage room in the back of this department store for, for about 30, 40 years. Um, and will I be lucky to have another one? Probably not. But that's everyone's hope, isn't it? All, all of us that, whether we're doing it for, for a little bit of financial gain or we, whether we're doing it just for the for the history and the love of it or a combination of both, which it is for myself, you just kind of hope that one day you, you're just lucky again, really, and, and find it all and archive it all properly as well, you know, because the, there is no sort of proper archive for, for all this old stuff. Um, Umbro bought some stuff off me many years ago about 2001, I think they bought a few things because they didn't have them and they hadn't kept anything. So it all needs to be the night, not, not my stuff, but in general, all of this stuff needs to be sort of on display somewhere, you know, and the National Football Museum do a brilliant job. Yeah. They could do it even about 50 times bigger so it could, so it could house all, all of these wonderful replica shirts from, from that period. Going back, you're talking about the even the bags and the the like accoutrement, the ba the badges, the tags can be really nostalgic, can't they? Again, as a '90s kid, I remember all, all Kappa gear came within an improbable collection of about six or seven tags, and a couple of them had these yeah. big stickers, which would then find their way onto every lunchbox, every every desk. And I, I was lucky enough to find. I, I don't really collect 
tagged gear but but find a, a Juventus mid 90s shirt and it had these tags and again it's like real wave of nostalgia come, come over you when you it's just a stupid it's you know it's a marketing it's a gimmick it's it's something you would have just thrown in the bin but you see it again after 25 years and it, it really sort of hits you straight away it does and it's funny as soon as you started that sentence not, not long ago actually having a Manchester City one from the same period with so many tags I, I'm sort of chuckling to myself is you know, why do you need so many tags? Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But but it, it's kind of cool as well. Going back to the older stuff, the packaging, you know, it, it's like a box set of kit, you know, a shirt, the shorts and the socks in a number of set box. And Adidas did them as well, sort of from the late 70s to, to the mid 80s. And, and again, I've been lucky to have sort of handled a few of these over the years and still got a couple in the collection. But when you post that, you know, or if I put a, a, a photo of like an old West Ham Adidas mid-80s kit in the box, the amount of interest that that kind of generates is phenomenal, really. And it kind mm-hmm. of sort of, you know, it's Christmas morning, isn't it? It's Christmas morning. Um, mm-hmm. What are we going to get? Little David for, for Christmas present, we'll get him the latest West Ham kit or whatever. And it's in the box, and it's a whole kit in the box. Imagine how excited... You know, you'd have been as, a, as a, an eight, nine, ten-year-old getting that on Christmas morning or on your birthday or whatever in the box, and the box looks so cool. And then the box gets ripped to pieces because you can't wait to get the kit out of it, of course. So few, few survive today. But seeing the packaging and the artwork on the packaging and then the actual plastic bags as well, it's uh, it, it's all very, very anoraki and spottery, but oh, it's great fun, absolutely great fun. Um, and then sort of taking it a step further is like, and this is what sort of really intrigues me now is the, the, the brochures and the catalogue. So, you know, getting the Admiral brochures for each football season from the mid-70s to the late-70s, the Adidas ones in the same period, the Umbra ones where you've got sort of crude artwork of what the kit looks like um, and, you know, the images of the matching shorts and socks. And it, it's, And then the posters... So, you, could, you know, the posters that were up in the short, sports shops at the time, sort of displaying the kits, finding that those kind of bits around the shirt industry, that's what's really sort of um, um, sort of grabbing my, my, my interest at the moment, I'll be honest. You know, and again, it helps with the learning because you'll see a strip for maybe a more obscure team and you're kind of thinking, wow, I've ne- never seen that before. And then you, then you start the hunt for trying to actually track one down and... And on and on and on it goes, really. Yeah, good fun, really good fun. So eBay's probably the one go-to place as a kit collector to pick kicks up. How's that changed over the last 20 years or so? There was, at the time, at most, on a busy week on eBay, there'd be about 250 shirts for sale. Right. And there was probably a couple of other sort of people, like myself, that were selling heavily, I guess you'd say, by having maybe... 15 or 20 shirts on for sale each at the time. Otherwise, it was a few people sort of dipping in and out and selling something that they had just to raise a few quid or whatever. But but that's all that there was. Um, So how eBay has sort of helped to evolve it all is is incredible because, you know, you you would see bits and pieces out and about. But, um, you know, with the business head on, you're kind of thinking, well, yeah, that's an old shirt, but what am I going to do with it? Well, I can stick it in the cupboard along with a load of other stuff that's (laughs) stuck in the cupboard. But there was no sort of means of sort of selling it on at the time, and then eBay came in and um, changed all of that. It's bonkers how, how that sort of 
grown over the last 20 years, but it's made it possible for hundreds of thousands of people like us to sort of be able to buy millions of different shirts that are out there, really. So it's it's a really good way. And obviously there's other ways you can, you can buy them as well, of course, now. But I think if you want something older and more obscure, then the, the eBay is still the best place, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's incredible you say that. I mean, I have goodness, about 70 or 80 searches running at the, the same time to dig out different bins. I think yeah, I have quite yeah. a broad Borussia Dortmund thing that, that just cut out very, very modern shirts. And there must be more than 250 pop up a week on, on that alone, so for just for one club. So not even a club that's massive, not United or Arsenal in terms of the scale. So it's incredible to think that it might just be a couple of dozen a day coming through. Which is a lot when you think about it. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I, I remember sort of Picking up a lot of the, the Dortmund Nike stuff in 2000, because again, I suppose they were only like five years old at the time, weren't yeah. they? Or six years old, some of them. And, and Arsenal stuff as well, you used to see quite a lot of it at, at that particular time. But the, the Dortmund stuff still seems to come through fairly regularly. One of the things that plagues collectors now is authenticity and fakes and so on. Was that an issue at all back then? Was it with the many you had to pick through? Well, I was lucky with, with like the, the vintage stuff that I bought in, in Camden because I, I actually got the Liverpool shirts myself from a, from a kid, so I knew right. that the material was right and everything like that was okay with that stuff. But in general, with reproduced stuff, there were some bits out there even then, yeah. So if you went to, um, to buy a more modern shirt in 2000, yeah, there were, there were copies then, but not to the sort of extent that we've got now, certainly. It's absolute minefield now, um, and if you don't know what you're looking for, obviously you're going to get your fingers burnt quite quickly. But yeah, even in 2000, there was some you could you could buy then cheap overseas market sort of fake football shirt, but they were clearly fake at, at that time. The, the sort of more crafted reproductions to make them look as close to the original as possible. I think that's something that we've sort of seen more in the last sort of 10, maybe 15 years, I would say. And you're doing this all on your own now. You, you have a really big network on Twitter. You've got people you can chat to very easily if you're a collector or a seller. When did you start to get a kind of network? When, when was the point where you actually began to talk with other collectors and find out that they existed? I, I consider myself to be quite an antisocial, per- anti-social person. And always sort of kept myself to myself sort of business-wise. And um, the, the social network thing, I think I joined... Twitter, I think it was about 2015 from memory, um, and that was, a, I remember at the time being quite reluctant to do it, because uh, the line of work that I was in, so social media was kind of like, you saw the pitfalls of it, and you kind of thought, even Facebook, I wasn't even on Facebook till uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, I just sort of avoided all of that kind of stuff altogether. But I thought one day, I'm probably missing a trick quite naively now, um, kind of thinking, I'm probably missing a trick here, that there's an opportunity there to network with people, and not so much in a, in a business network kind of kind of sense, but just to talk, talk football shirts, because it's sort of cliche as it sound, one of the, although yes, it, it, it's, a, it's a business, yeah, I, I need to make money, because I do still collect a lot of stuff, but it's expensive, so you, yes, you, you have to sell to, to make a few quid to, to buy some of this stuff. I'm not that wealthy that I can just go out and buy stuff on the whim. But the fun part for me is the learning, because you're still learning every day, and the only way you learn is obviously by, by talking to people, coming across some 
you know, d- different things and, oh, have you ever seen one of these? And has anyone ever sort of seen this particular variant of? And, and, and off the conversation goes. I think the the first kind of people I, I sort of sort of reached out to at the time were, were Got Not Got, because I had a couple of the books and the books are full of like the, the, the 60s and 70s treasure and 80s treasure in particular that were of interest to me. And I kind of reached out and sort of said, well, you know, if, if you ever need any photos for anything, let me know. And kind of got chatting to them and then various other collectors sort of up and down the country. And yeah, I've, I've got a big following on Twitter, but it's probably only a couple of hundred people that I sort of speak to very regularly about different bits, pieces and sort of aspects of shirts, to be honest. Thinking about the, the shirts that you've had through and, you say, learning about different things, are there any shirts that you're still looking for, things that continue to elude you? Over the last sort of 22, 23 years, I've bought and sold thousands of shirts and there's some shirts I, I regret selling. But something I've never had that I'd still like to get my hands on, the one for me is um, there's a Burnley Umbro kit from about 76, 77. So it's the usual claret and blue but it's got like the big blue chevron down the front of it. And that's what I've never seen. I just like to get an original Umbra one of those. Just from the the actual design, um, that is one I'd, I'd love to see uh, hold and, and sort of maybe even frame it, to be honest with you, because I, I'm not a big one for framing stuff at all. But that one is one that, I, yeah, that, that's the one I would like to get hold of, yeah. And speaking of the ones that you have got hold of, I mean, not a lot of kit collectors can't go five minutes without showing off some of their collection, but it doesn't seem to be something that you've done a, a lot on social media, at least. Are there any real kind of jewels that, in your collection that are your favourites? Well, I think my, the favourite shirts are still my ones from when I was a child. I'm right. just lucky that I didn't throw, or my mum didn't throw away my Liverpool kits. So I've still got all of those, and they are battered well and truly battered, but they're well-loved. When I used to play football every day, as we all did, from, from daylight to, to, to night time. So they're the favourite ones. But from a, a, a general collector's perspective, I think the Admiral Coventry Chocolate Brown away kit, you know, that was one I only picked up, I think it's about three years ago, probably by now, and I paid a lot of money for it. And it was worth it. It was the right time, I was able to afford it, and I bought it, and that, that's, that's one of the, the special ones. But I think, you know, the, the, I've got some sort of West Brom Umbro kits from the 70s, really, really nice, proper Umbro vintage stuff. You know, looks nice, you know, the design, it's fairly straightforward design, there's no sponsors on them, but it just looks so good. Liverpool Hitachi, Hitachi the first sponsorship, really looks smart with that white sponsors logo on it and then the, the matching away one with the red print Hitachi print on it really really quite stunning and then there's the, the Arsenal kits as well um, the home and away from the, the late 70s were, were, were always a favourite at the time it tends to be most collectors have a favourite era and it seems that your sort of the late 70s seems to be I think a lot of these it ties up with adolescence but is that particular era then the one that really uh, appeals to you? Yeah, it, it, it is. There's some modern kits I really, really like. You look at something and you think, wow, that design is really smart, or the, or the colour style, it really works, or what have you. And again, seeing um, an Umbro, I've got a real soft spot for Umbro from, from being sort of brought up with, with, with Umbro and Admiral. 
But when that Umbro had a sort of resurgence about five or six or seven years ago, it's got a bit of a retro look to, to, to some of the kits. But, you know, they've done a really good job. So I can still appreciate the kit today, a really nice looking kit. But yeah, it is the late 70s, like you say, and into the sort of mid 80s as well, because the designs changed quite a lot, really, from the um, sort of the, the first wave of replica kits, which are quite plain. But then sort of Adidas and Lecoq Sportif from Patrick as well, I suppose, in about 80, 81, when they came in, everyone had to up the game a bit. Um, and if you didn't, you sort of fell by the wayside, which sadly we saw with Admiral. But those that could evolve a bit, and Umbro did it extremely well because they've been doing it for an awfully long time. Yeah, I think that you say Umbro for such a traditional brand, they really embraced all these new technologies. And you think my era into the early 90s when you had these really dramatic designs coming out. Again, Umbro, this 100-year-old company, was at the forefront of doing that. And you think of things like, as a Manchester United fan, the design with the stadium on the, is sublimated into the design. Yeah, yeah. The, the Newton Heath kit, one of the kind of early... Uh, references to to historical origins of the club like like you say it's for a bit kind of big company that has a lot of tradition they were quite adventurous in keeping up with all those new players in the market they were and not just keeping up but sort of stepping ahead as well you'd say and, and it's funny the 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 some of the things that they sort of brought in like like you say about the the, the, the 94 home kit for united really quite well, a bit garish almost at the time, but you look back at it now and you're kind of thinking, well, actually, the, the way they've done it is really quite clever. Referencing to that period, sort of lace-up collars as well on, on the 92 home kit and, and the Newton Heat away, away kit. The Aston Villa home kit from, from that period as well, sort of, you know, a 1920s sort of feel to it. Longevity, really, is something to be admired. And, you know, keeping it fresh and keeping it new um, must be incredibly difficult for so many different clubs when the portfolio is that big, yeah. Yeah, you think back now, Umbro have a, a lower profile now, but that mid nineties period where they they had still had the Brazil kits or ninety six or ninety seven, they had uh, Paul Gascoigne's Lazio's they were always referred to, and, and Inter Milan at that explosion of the kind of football Italia era, and, yeah. and as well as really high profile Tottenham and Manchester United's kits as well. It's amazing how. You know, still such like a, a massive leading entity, along with uh, probably Adidas, even even in that period. Yeah, you're right, and I think then that's when we we kind of saw some of the American firms and, and, and Reebok and Nike sort of coming in and, and taking over a little bit more. Because again, I, I think I suppose the the explosion of the Premier League, although it, it came along in '92-3 and the explosion of such, I don't think it really kind of hit mass markets until the mid '90s. And I think that's probably when other sort of companies have thought, hold on, there's a, there's a massive opportunity here financially to sort of step in more. And yeah, without doubt, had a huge impact on on Umbro at that stage. And, and like you're just reeling off some of the, the teams that wore the kits and, and Ajax as well, of course, you know, absolutely yeah. stunning kits for Ajax. And then how it kind of, that portfolio could have shrunk fairly quickly when, when you considered when when Nike sort of came in and and took over a lot of the bigger bigger teams, I should say. Yeah, I, th- I think Puma really replaced them in the nineties. They'd probably been Umbro and Adidas, and then Nike 
came up on the rails in the mid nineties, and then think Puma having supplied a lot of German clubs predominantly. Then you know think Sheffield Wednesday into the uh, Atletico Madrid and Spanish league, and teams in the like Lazio in in the Italian league. They really kind of exploded. I think since then it's really been a three horse race between those two German companies and the American giants. Yeah, and it's everyone else sort of picking up the pieces, isn't it? Really. So you talked about the interest, obviously there's massive interest in your account, but it's gone even further than that and you've been involved in media and TV programmes. How did all that kind of come about? Yeah, um, and again, I guess it's, it's a little bit of luck in being in the, in the right place at the right time and contacting Derek and, and Gary from, from the Got Not Got team and sort of sharing some of the photos and some of the stuff that I had and conversations with them and... And then knowing another Leicester City fan, Andy Wells, who had the idea of of making a documentary about the story of Admiral, which next month we would have the book, the story of Admiral, coming out by Andy as well. But Andy getting in touch and sort of saying, I'm I'm thinking of doing a documentary. I understand you've got quite a big archive of of, of Admiral stuff. And he popped up, travelled up from London to North Wales to come and see me, and we had a, we had a, a chat for two or three hours, and I'm going through some of the stuff which I sort of pulled from storage so we can have a look at it. And then going on to the, the, the Get Shirty documentary, the, the story of Admiral, and having some of the collection on display uh, for that documentary. And I'm really quite quite humbled to be involved in that because, you know, yeah, Admiral had a huge part to play in, 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 in the modern football shirt really and in, in the explosion that happened but being involved in, in something like that and, and sharing stories and then hearing more stories again it's all part of the learning if you like and then meeting other you know great people in the shirt world like, like John Devlin and, and his thoughts on, on design or what have you yeah it's, it's quite humbling but really exciting to, to be part of it all really and I'm conscious that you know 1970 six is, is an awfully long time ago for, for a lot of younger collectors so I think being interested and taking an active interest in, in the more modern stuff is really important as well but yeah I, I do <laughs> I do kind of get sucked back into the, to the 70s and 80s um, my age I guess really that it's it's still the golden age but I think it's important to sort of be current as well but I, I, I really love listening to other sort of podcasts where people are talking about the the latest designs and especially on maybe some of the foreign clubs as well, you know, some of the Italian clubs or Spanish clubs and it, it's still interesting to learn about what's going on in that and although you, you sort of just sort of raise an eyebrow with, with some of the concepts that the brands are coming out with and, and you know we've designed this because and you just kind of you know oh, yeah. come on <laughs> but but it, it's still it's still interesting to sort of listen to, to some of that stuff but uh, yeah. And if anybody wants to find you and, and follow you, uh, how do they do that? So anybody that, that wants to sort of uh, reach out to me, I am on there as at toy underscore toys underscore shirts. So that's the best place really. So if anybody has a question or wants to check anything out, they can certainly do that. One thing, one thing I, I, I have tried to sort of stop doing is valuing shirts of people because... I think that's impossible at the moment because the market is, is, is so volatile, really, but mostly on an upwards trajectory. The valuing stuff is difficult, but if anyone's got a shirt from the 70s or 80s or 90s and they're not sure if it's genuine or not, please, yeah, by all means, get in touch. Or if they just want to chat shirts in general, yeah, please, 
you know, follow me on there, I'll follow you back and, yeah, we can take it from there. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Paris. It's been fantastic to talk to you and learn about an incredible journey that you've had through shirt collecting and passion for it and, and interest just shines through. So this is the end of the first episode of the Pretty Polly podcast. Again, you can follow us at Pretty Polly Book and please like, share and let us know what you thought of the pod. Mm-hmm.